This evening, we'll be reading from Daniel chapter 10. Uh, We're going to read the entire chapter plus the first verse of chapter 11. This is Daniel chapter 10, and this is the word of the Lord. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, No meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. This is the word of the Lord. So one element of the enduring popularity of uh, stories and works of literature like the Chronicles of Narnia or like Harry Potter 
is the idea of this absolutely fantastic world that exists just beside our own. Uh, a world where, um, in theory, you could, you could access this world. Uh, all, it, all it takes is the right wardrobe or uh, a, a letter from a school of witchcraft and, uh, and, and wizardry, and you can go and join this world that uh, is made to look so beautiful and so amazing. And so you imagine uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Who wouldn't want to imagine the existence of this world that you could go to where there are friendly talking animals and where ordinary children can become royalty? Or if you think about Harry Potter, uh, uh, this world filled with fantastic creatures and abilities and remarkable people and a world where love is the most potent magic yet unable to be harnessed and possessed even by the most powerful wizard. These words, in theory, of course, within their own worlds, like I said, accessible. And sometimes we think, don't we, it would be so great if there were a world like this, if, if, if our world were in fact like this. But one of the things that Daniel finds in, in this vision is that, in fact, there is such a world in reality. Now, this is not a world that's exactly accessible, right? The, the world of spiritual reality uh, is not a place that is meant for us physical human beings to inhabit. And yet, Daniel gets this picture of this spiritual reality that affects the reality we do see and also finds that the reality we do see and act in has its effect on the spiritual reality that is just beyond our sight. And so Daniel has seen visions and he's interpreted dreams that, that showed him the existence of a spiritual world that's intertwined with our own. Um, and here he gets yet another taste and a more direct, uh, more direct evidence that the things that he does has had an impact on this spiritual realm and vice versa. And so we learn here that there is a spiritual reality and that God has a part for his people to play in it. And so we're going to look here at the spiritual reality that lies behind earthly struggles. We're going to look at the part that God's people play in this spiritual reality. We're going to look at God's provision of strength and courage to play our part. And so as we look at the spiritual reality that stands behind earthly struggles and earthly reality, we see these two uh, very direct references to what's happening in the spiritual realm uh, coinciding with events in the physical realm. And so first we see in verses 13 and 14 that uh, this prince of the kingdom of Persia withstands Daniel's angelic visitor for 21 days. Um, and, and so we learn a few things. First, that the heavenly being here tells Daniel that there is this uh, angelic or heavenly uh, uh, prince of the kingdom of Persia. I shouldn't say heavenly. We, uh, all uh, angelic beings come from heaven eventually, but they, some of them rebelled. Um, and so there's evidently some sort of national uh, or guardian spirit that exists uh, that has authority and is over the kingdom of Persia. Um, now, I, I want to say for a second that this 
this messenger that Daniel is hearing from in these verses, I don't believe this is the same being that Daniel uh, first sees in the opening part of his vision. Um, because I believe that particular being is a, a vision of the pre-incarnate Jesus. It's a theophany. And so it's hard to imagine Jesus being withstood for 21 days uh, by even the most powerful angel that there is. Um, we do see some hints of this kind of opposition, but even when these things are, are uh, when these things do take place, we, we read about them in terms of God's permission, permitting these things to happen. I can't think of a place in Scripture where uh, that sort of activity is credited to the strength of another being other than God. And so uh, I don't see any hint here that the Prince of Persia was permitted or allowed to withstand or something like that. And so uh, I believe that the picture here is of this angelic messenger, a different messenger from the one Daniel saw at the very beginning, uh, revealing that, that he has been engaged in this battle for 21 days with this prince of the kingdom of Persia. And this 21 days is the same three weeks that Daniel says that he has been mourning, uh, where it says that he ate no delicacies, no meat or wine enter his mouth, and so on. So Daniel has been mourning, has been seriously uh, uh, considering, pondering something. And, and I think that this is meant to show us there's a connection between Daniel's action in mourning and in fasting and presumably in prayer, uh, as well at, at, c- combined with um, this battle that is taking place. Uh, and this word that's even translated here, where the uh, where the an- this this angel says to Daniel, um, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. It, that's really just a more basic conjunction. It, it really could perhaps be differently translated. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and then I was left there with the kings of Persia. And so, this word that's that's used that we translate left there in in the hebrew it has this kind of connotation that that daniel's visitor was the last one standing in his skirmish so that there was this battle michael came to join him and then he himself gained the victory and so was left in his side of the battle with nothing to do except now to be free to come to daniel with the message that he has for him And so we see this connection between the things that Daniel has been mourning and whatever it is that this angel has been fighting in the kingdom of Persia. And then we see in verse 20 through 11.1, where this messenger then says that he is actually poised to go and return to the battle. So he's left Michael to come talk to Daniel. uh, And now he has to make a return to the battle to... Uh, consolidate the gains that have been made. So this, this messenger to Daniel is on a temporary errand to bring the message of God to Daniel. And in, this, in the course of explaining this, Michael is revealed to Daniel as your prince. So there's this, uh, there's this spiritual prince 
over the kingdom of Persia. Michael is the spiritual prince over the, the people of Israel. And so this prince of Israel who defends them and fights for them in the spiritual realm. And then we find that just as the fight already in progress against the prince of Persia has happened and is going to continue, there's also another fight brewing with the prince of Greece. And so we see how Daniel's action in this morning and in, uh, in prayer has, uh, has happened concurrently with this battle. And there, that should alert us to the fact that there's a connection but you also want to take note when this is happening. For it says at the very beginning, this is happening in the third year of Cyrus. Well, what was happening in the third year of Cyrus? What was happening in the life of God's people? Why, why this time for Daniel to be in mourning? Why this time for there to be a battle? Why this time to record a vision? Well, during this time, God's people have made their initial return to Jerusalem and have begun to rebuild the temple. So there's this significant event in Israel's life, in Israel's history, happening. And yet we also know from Ezra chapter 5 that there's opposition. That, that the, the locals who had moved into the vicinity of Jerusalem uh, are now jealous. And they, they want to participate in the building project, but they're stopped because they aren't among God's people. And so these interlopers, uh, they, they appeal to Persia and say, hey, uh, this shouldn't be happening. And in fact, you'll, you can see from history that, that, these, uh, that, that, these, that these Jewish people are rebels and that they'll hurt the king. And so Edward J. Young um, looks at this activity of Persia first allowing the temple to be rebuilt and then, uh, and then, and then saying, no, actually, the, the building of the temple can't go ahead. Edward J. Young, he, he believes that it's likely that this battle with the prince of Persia is the spiritual reality uh, uh, analog to this Persian opposition to the work of rebuilding the temple. And so we, we can't be dogmatic about this. Uh, it doesn't, the text doesn't spell it out for us in so many words. But the hints are there. And important things don't usually happen in God's word. Important connections don't happen or aren't made without there being something real there. And so that we see that there's a connection between events in this world and events in the spiritual reality. And so along with all of this, we also see with this reference to Michael being Daniel's prince and the prince of his people, we, we see the connection to this reference in Hebrews chapter 1, referring to the angel saying, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So there is a spiritual reality that, that references and affects things that happen in this world where we can see them. And the activity there is undertaken by angels who are there to serve you at God's behest. And we see this happening most clearly, the, uh, this, this great union between this world reality and spiritual reality uh, in, 
in Christ's victory over sin on the cross. For example, we read in Revelation 12 about Michael and the other angels fighting Satan and his angels and winning the victory. But where, how is, what is that victory credited to? That victory is credited to the blood of the Lamb shed on the cross. And so this spiritual fight, any spiritual fight that takes place, points to the ultimate spiritual fight that is found in Christ's sacrifice for the sins of his people. So in this fight, we see how Jesus conquered Satan. It says in Hebrews 2 that he destroyed the power of death, he destroyed the devil, and he delivers those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so you can't avoid taking part in these spiritual matters. If you, if you live in this world, you are a subject to Satan or you are subject to Christ. But it's Christ whose victory reverberates from heaven through into this world. And so there's a part for humanity to play, for God's people to play. And so there are other indications uh, in this passage about Daniel's own participation in spiritual realities, specifically his understanding and his prayer. For it says in verse 12 that, that Daniel has set his heart to understand. He has set his heart to understand what God has to say in his word and what God has to say to Daniel and to the rest of his people and the visions that he has seen. And so the story of Daniel's life underlines his search for understanding. As we, we read even, for example, in Daniel chapter 2, where, where the king had a vision, had a, had a dream, excuse me, and none of the wise men of the kingdom could understand the dream. And so Daniel turns to God in prayer, asking God to give him understanding and to give him the dream itself. Even if you look at where it says the word was true and it was a great conflict here in verse 1, uh, m- most commentators believe that it's not so much that saying that the word was true and it was a word about a great conflict, but rather that Daniel had to wrestle with the vision in order to understand it. And so we see here how in verse, 20, verse 11, Daniel is told to understand what he is seeing, and he will understand it by the wisdom that God gives him. But Daniel's understanding didn't just lead him to fill his head with knowledge. Daniel's understanding led him to prayer. Now we know that Daniel prayed through the course of his life. So when it says here that he was in mourning for three year, for three weeks, excuse me, it's hard to imagine that his mourning is fixated on, on anything other than prayer. And then consider also this, this reference that from the beginning of his ministry, it says that Daniel's word has, words have been heard by God. And so Daniel, Daniel takes prayer very seriously. And Daniel is seeing here how it's Daniel's habits of prayer, 
that brings Daniel this, this message. For the messenger says, I have come because of your words. And so there's this virtuous cycle that we see from understanding to prayer, which leads to understanding, which leads us even further to prayer. And it's really remarkable how much Daniel has dedicated himself to whatever it is that he's mourning and praying for. For Daniel's mourning is ending on the 24th day of the first month. What's he been doing? He's been fasting during the time of Passover and during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And these are major feasts. These are celebrations of of God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. And so this is a time to party. But something has happened that has led Daniel uh, that has led Daniel to prayer and fasting instead. And it, it's striking, isn't it, that Daniel, here as the, as, as the exiles return to Babylon, Daniel, who prayed so fervently two years ago for the restoration of the holy city, is still in Babylon. And so if indeed it is the halting progress of the rebuilding of the temple, which Daniel isn't able, for whatever reason, to attend in person, yet we see that Daniel's work of prayer is just as significant to the rebuilding process as the stacking up of one stone on top of another. And so we can join Daniel in dedication to understanding and prayer. For hearing from God's word and responding to it in prayer prayer are at the center of the Christian life. Look at Ephesians 6, the the so-called armor of God, where where prayer and God's word are so prominent. For it says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Or consider in Luke 11 where we find that God gives gifts in response to prayer because he's our loving Father. For Jesus says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, it's hidden in God's counsel why he calls us to pray for things that he can and does do on his own. The power of prayer doesn't lie in either my character or in the, pr- the words of prayer itself, but they, 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 they rest in God, right? The power of prayer rests in God. And yet he calls us to pray as a faithful participation in his work of redemption. And in doing so, we express our confidence in him and our trust in him, understanding that everything that we have comes from his hand. And that if we are saved, it is because of his work. And if one of our friends or loved ones is saved, it's because of God's work. 
If we enjoy a delicious meal, it's because God is the one who feeds us, and so on. And we find in James 5.16 that true and effective prayer springs from a life lived well. As he says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And how do we learn to be righteous? By understanding God's word. We can see even Daniel's own worthiness in God's sight, as it says in verses 11 and 19. It says in the ESV, he's greatly loved. This word translated greatly loved here is the same word used in the 10th commandment saying you shall not covet. You shall not desire, right? And so this messenger is saying to Daniel, you are desirable in God's sight. You are highly valued and precious to him. And we know, uh, we know how God delights in everything that reflects his holy character. And so, though still a human being and still sinful, yet we see that God delights in the way that Daniel has reflected his holy character throughout his life. And so as we, we think about this virtuous circle from understanding to prayer and back to understanding and back to prayer, it, one of the things that I've found so helpful for prayer is praying through the Psalms, introducing uh, my evening prayer by praying through a Psalm, not just reading a Psalm, but praying through a Psalm and introducing my morning prayer with scripture reading and meditation on what God reveals about himself. Both of these practices are commended by Martin Luther in his A Simple Way to Pray. And it, it changed my ability to focus and to pray in accordance with God's word when I, do, when I did these things. And, you know, even... I, I, sometimes, I don't always, but, but sometimes I pray that God would, would grant me opportunities to talk about the gospel with people. I should pray for it all the time, but I often just remember to do it every couple of months. And over the last several years, I tell you every time that I've prayed this prayer that's in accordance with God's word, God wants his gospel to be spread every time that I've remembered to pray for it some opportunity has sprung up out of nowhere. Uh, just this year, the two times that I've remembered to pray, um, one time a voice student of mine came to visit church. And I had prayed that week for God to give an opportunity to bring the message of the gospel to someone. Or even just this past week, I remembered to pray for it again. And I went to the coffee shop while my, my car was in the shop, and a guy that I know was just there, and he just peppered me with questions about the Bible. I'm not saying that I'm as good as Daniel. Don't get me wrong. And it's God who made those, who made those opportunities happen. But try it and see. See if God will fulfill your prayers when you pray in accordance with his word. But the thing is, and as, as we see, right, that, that prayer and understanding have this significant 
have this significance in the spiritual realm. But we also don't always feel ready. And we aren't, in fact, always ready. In fact, I can't speak for you, but for me, very rarely really ready to face this task before us, this task that God has set before us. But it's God who provides strength and courage to play our part. And so we see here in verses 5 through 9 how Daniel sees, as I I said, I believe that he sees the pre-incarnate Son of God. For this, this, this being that he sees is clothed in linen, the garment of a priest. He's wearing a belt of fine gold from Uphaz, which simply means fine gold. And these kinds of descriptors, his body like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, are only, as far as I can see, ever ascribed to God in visions of God, at least in this vast number, right? Of course, the appearance of any angel is remarkable, but these kinds of descriptors and this number of descriptors is only ever ascribed to God, and it's very reminiscent of the way that Jesus appears to John in Revelation 1. And so if, as I said, I believe that the messenger from verse 10 on is not the same person that, that, that Daniel sees here, we do have to answer the question, why does the sun appear and then apparently go away? And there are three reasons that I can think of. And so first we see that there are visions of deity, especially the visions of deity at the beginning of Jeremiah and towards the beginning of Isaiah, that serve, as, to, that serve to prove the authenticity of the prophet's message. And so it appeared at the beginning of Isaiah and Jeremiah's ministry, but here it, we, we see the appearance of God to Daniel at the end of his ministry. But I think that the purpose is the same. It shows in no uncertain terms that the things that Daniel has seen and understood are true, and they are from God. I also see a certain similarity in Daniel's vision of the pre-incarnate son, a certain similarity to Moses' vision of God's backside glory towards the end of his own ministry. Although this is transposed to a vision of the Messiah, which seems appropriate because Daniel's visions have had so much to do with the coming of the Messiah. And so perhaps a sort of an encouragement or a reward at the end of a life well lived. And then also, even though I don't believe that, that, that this figure is the one who speaks from verses 10 on, it still serves to show that the message does come from God. That this isn't a message being delivered uh, at the will of the messenger but it's a message that comes from God. It's almost uh, as if God himself is, is introducing Daniel to this angelic messenger saying, here, listen to what he has to say. So in these things, we see that Daniel uh, sees a vision of, of the authenticity of the things that he's experienced, that these things truly come from God. And Daniel approaches God in an appropriate way, doesn't he, with trembling. He falls down, face down, 
in deep sleep as though dead. It says that his radiant appearance was fearfully changed. A more wooden translation would be that his royal dignity was turned to destruction. A picture of a, of a vibrant and strong figure turning to a corpse. And yet what happens after that is the message is delivered to Daniel. This, this message of Daniel's need not to fear. The introduction, by the way, to the vision itself. To, to, so this is just the introduction to the message, which we'll get into starting in chapter 11, verse 2. What happens? Repeatedly, Daniel is strengthened by the touch of the messenger and repeatedly reminded that he is precious in God's sight. So even Daniel, great Daniel, faithful Daniel, when he's confronted with the enormity of all that is happening and the glory of the God whom he serves, he has no strength to stand. He is not able to stand on his own. But he doesn't need to. For God gives Daniel, through this messenger, God gives Daniel his own strength. So Daniel receives the strength that he needs to understand and endure. Paul reflects this in Philippians 4. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul reflects a life lived in the strength of God, a strength that's not his own, but a strength that comes from Christ, your Savior and mine. For as he says in Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So being given life, we have a power that isn't our own. The spirit who empowered Jesus' ministry, as we read in Luke 4, that same spirit empowers Christ's ministry through vessels like you and me. And so the work carries on, just as it did through the apostles. Jesus receives the apostles for their missionary work as they went out to go and preach the gospel. And what does he say? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There is a heavenly significance to what is done by those whom Jesus sends. And this was not even just to the 12 apostles, those men who God called to write the scriptures, the scriptures of the New Testament. But this, that was what he said to his 72 disciples, the people who, whom he sent out, the people whom, who, who, who were given this task, people like you and me. So there's a heavenly significance, a spiritual reality to the things that happen in this life. So the dragon has been defeated, even though the war rages on. But the dragon has been defeated. 
And so the things that we do matter. But we do these things in the strength of a Christ who has already won the decisive battle. And so empowered by Jesus' strength in the seemingly ordinary work of prayer and understanding his word, by God's strength, we will prevail. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this strength that you give us. And so, Father, we pray that you would make us more aware. Help us to recognize the spiritual realities behind the things that you call us to do in this life. And Father, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us to guide us and to strengthen us. So, Father, give us strength in prayer. Give us strength in understanding your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.